0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor is defending the state's unemployment compensation system. He says more than 97% of the valid claims have been paid, and there are good reasons why almost 30% of the applications have been rejected. The woman who designed Florida's COVID 19 reporting dashboard that was praised for its transparency and accessibility has been removed from the project. The governor says it's only a vacation, and her goodbye email was completely misunderstood but they fired her anyway. Florida may be reopening, but Senator Marco Rubio says don't expect things to turn around anytime soon. He believes fear of the virus will keep people from vacationing here, at least in the short term. Vacation rentals in the panhandle get the go ahead from the state. Airbnb and other short-term rentals are now allowed in seven counties. Residents of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Louisiana need not apply. The pandemic is also a threat to your financial health. On the Sunrise interview, we'll hear from Kevin Johnson of the Suncoast Credit Union about a new campaign for financial literacy in the age of COVID-19. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida man, including a doctor who lost his job for threatening the wrong cops. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, May 20th. The number of confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida is just short of 47,000. That includes 2,129 fatalities, 56 more than the day before. Governor Ron DeSantis is defending the state's beleaguered unemployment compensation system. He admits it was a horrible program when the pandemic began, but after two months of intensive care, he says they're catching up with the backlog.
1: It's taken a lot of work. This is still not the best designed system, uh, but as of yesterday, uh, almost a million unique, complete, and eligible applicants, and of that, you have 97.6 uh, percent has received payment. So that was someplace that we were so far away of six weeks ago. So now you're in a situation: 975,656 hundred Floridians uh, have been processed and have received payment.
0: And what about the hundreds of thousands of applications that were rejected with little or no explanation?
1: About half a million, uh, 28.6%, were deemed ineligible at some point in the process. Now, normally, in a normal environment, the majority of claims that are submitted for reemployment assistance in Florida are deemed ineligible. And so this, I think, the majority of claims are being paid but that's obviously more reflective of these extraordinary circumstances. So why would you be deemed ineligible uh, if the employment separation was deemed a discharge for misconduct, if the claimant voluntarily quit work without good cause, the claimant received income for the week they were claiming unemployment, um, if the claimant was not able and available for work. So these are things just basically under the law uh, and how you're doing. And we do have people that are applying for Florida reemployment who are receiving wages in other states. And so that obviously would, would, would render you ineligible if that were the case.
0: The governor admits there are still issues with the system, but says the process has gotten a lot better. The designer and manager of Florida's COVID-19 dashboard that provides the latest stats on the battle against coronavirus, which was praised by the White House for its accessibility and transparency, has been removed from her post. That site was created by a team of data specialists and public health officers at the Department of Health. That team was headed up by Rebecca Jones, but she sent an email saying her office is no longer managing the dashboard, is no longer involved in publication, fixing errors, or answering questions in any shape or form. Jones went on to say she doesn't know what the new team's intentions are for data accessing including what data they are now restricting. Well, the story created a buzz about conspiracies to hide information, but the governor claims his office has received an email from Jones saying her message was completely misunderstood.
1: I don't know who she is, but they gave me an email that she sent to her supervisor, said that... Um um, you know, uh, uh-oh, I may have said something that was misrepresented. I said they've got a team working on it now, and then what I meant when I said don't expect the same level of accessibility is that they are busy and can't answer every single email they get right away, and that it was ridiculous that I managed to do it in the first place, and that I was tired and needed a break from working two months straight and finally taking a vacation. That's what she wrote. We can provide this email to you, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a non-issue.
0: That's a perfectly valid explanation. It's also a good way to try to keep your job. But it didn't work. One hour after the governor said it was all just a misunderstanding, Jones was accused of insubordination and fired. Maybe that letter wasn't misunderstood after all. The state has approved plans for Escambia, Santa Rosa, Okaloosa, Walton, Bay, Gulf, and Franklin counties to reopen their vacation rental industries. They'd hoped to be open for business by Monday, but the state didn't approve the deal until Tuesday. All of the plans submitted by the counties will discourage renting to travelers from COVID-19 hotspots singled out by the governor, namely New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Louisiana. Escambia, Santa Rosa, and Bay counties' plans go even further. They're banning guests from any states with 700 cases per 100,000 residents. So that includes Delaware, Illinois, Massachusetts, Michigan, Rhode Island, and Washington, D.C. If you expect a quick recovery from the pandemic in Florida, you might want to cool your jets. Marco Rubio says it'll take a while. He was featured on a webcast by the American Enterprise Institute, and Florida's senior senator wasn't seeing any sort of rosy scenarios on the road ahead.
2: Even if tomorrow morning they announced we have a cure for COVID 19, and uh, so no one needs to worry that much about it, you still have industries that are going to take time. So, for example, i am just use my home state of Florida, which is very dependent on international travel. Um, it'll be a while before international travel returns, because even if things might be getting better here, the countries that people are coming from may not have gotten better. Number two is the economic impact has been widespread. So someone who was making $100,000 a year and had planned a vacation this year is suddenly going to say, well, I need to recover from two months of lost wages. So I'm not going to spend money on vacation this year. I'm going to spend it sort of rebuilding our economic lives. Likewise, with big events, conventions and large gatherings to even if there's a cure tomorrow, it'd be very difficult to turn around and pull this off in the constrained period of time that are available. And obviously, we're not going to have an announcement tomorrow morning that there's a cure and all the problems are solved. So what I think you're going to sort of see here is a steady improvement, but not a dramatic overnight one, because there are many there's a long tail to this that that still is out there. And it will take time for some industries to come back. If, If you're a small hotel. Uh, or you're a large hotel for that matter and you depend on x number of your rooms during a time of year being taken up by cruise passengers who are overnighting before they get on the cruise tomorrow morning those cruises aren't coming back for a couple months so you're still going to have vacancies even if everything reopens tomorrow the psychological impact uh, even if you open up these restaurants there are people that are not going to go out the way they once did because they're afraid uh, to be infected they're afraid so uh, to, to get sick so there's a lot of factors here at play that go beyond simply just the disease to actually some of the, the lingering impacts. So I, I anticipate we'll see lingering impacts for some time. I think some industries will come back much faster than others, to be frank. But nonetheless, I mean, look, the, the, I'm a big sports fan, so I don't say it just because of this, but in a lot of these college towns, they depend on those six games a year in the fall where all the hotels are booked because of college football, and then later in the year because of graduation. They have no idea if they're going to be booked. It, maybe it's only three of those six games and, uh, that are booked. And, and, uh, and, and therefore, they have to make assumptions and decisions on the basis of that. And a lot of it is just not known. We just don't know if there's going to be a second wave, how people or consumers are going to behave in light of all the uncertainty, and frankly, what local restrictions will look like.
0: Senator Rubio, who has just taken over as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, also has some interesting thoughts about the pandemic's effect on the worldwide political order and the competition between the U.S. and China to see who leads the world in the 21st century. You can hear that on tomorrow's episode of Sunrise. Researchers with the Institute for Food and Agricultural Sciences at the University of Florida have been surveying farmers, fishers, and just about anyone else they can find in the ag sector to get some idea of the disruptions caused by the pandemic. Professor John Lai says the results are very preliminary, but the data show most agricultural businesses are still in business.
1: A majority of businesses are uh, reporting that they are open and operating in some capacity. Uh, The data we have collected so far shows that over 90% of operations report that they are open in the production, uh, post-harvest, and transportation sectors.
0: The 10% of ag businesses that shut down did so for a couple of different reasons, but Professor Lai says most are expected to reopen.
1: 29% reported shutting down due to local or municipal mandates, and 27% reported that they shut down because their operation was unable to find customers or sell products. Our sample shows that 93% are expecting to reopen at some point in the future.
0: The commercial seafood industry also took a hit. Professor Andrew Ropicki says half the charter fishing businesses closed.
3: 49% of those businesses indicated they were still operating. Uh, So it was about 50-50 in terms of those that were were still open versus those that uh, closed as a result of the coronavirus. Most of those that closed uh, saw it as a, a, a short-term um, issue. Ninety-six uh, percent of those closed expect to reopen. hundred uh, percent of the respondents indicated that their revenue decreased as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. And, and then, lastly, uh, one you know maybe bright spot uh, or, or, or uptick for this group was that eighteen percent of uh, the, the businesses that answered the survey in May. So the survey went from you know mid-april to mid-May. so the, the group that answered during the second half, 18 percent of them indicated that their business was picking back up from coronavirus lows. and while that's not a huge percentage, uh, none of our April respondents indicated the same. So so it looks like there may have been you know uh, starting to be a change for, for this group.
0: Professor Christina Court says the bottom line is that the pandemic has done major damage to agriculture's bottom line.
2: So I would say that we learned that the agriculture industry has been hit hard across all of the commodity groups, but I think the other big thing to take away from this is that large amount of variation. So the different uh, commodity groups were impacted very differently, as well as the different commodities within commodity groups uh, showed a lot of different changes. And just to keep in mind that this is um, an an ongoing situation. So we don't know yet if this is the end result for a lot of these businesses, or if they will continue to be impacted.
0: The survey also shows a significant drop in the sale of agricultural products, sales of field crops, veggies and fruits down by between 23 to 46 percent, sales of livestock and aquaculture down almost 40 percent. Next up on the Sunrise interview, the topic is financial literacy. Yeah, sure. You could call it boring. But what if we call it keeping your cash from COVID? Either way, it's the same interview. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged.
1: Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org slash COVID for more information.
0: Welcome back to the Sunrise interview. Our guest today is Kevin Johnson, president and CEO of the Suncoast Credit Union. His organization is backing a new campaign to help Floridians manage their fiscal affairs in the midst of a pandemic. And they're holding a teleconference this morning to share the details. Now, the concept of financial literacy is nothing new. When I was a rookie reporter back in the 70s, the state controller was asking the legislature to make it a required course in high school. Since then, every person to hold the job has done pretty much the same. Now it's Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas who is leading the charge, and Johnson says they're finally making some progress.
4: We have just recently uh, got a legislative win where now uh, all high school seniors, uh, they're required to be able to have offered to them at least a financial education, financial literacy course to be taken before they graduate. Now that's not a requirement. That's what we're really trying to lobby for. Uh, but there was a compromise, and we, at least we got the, um, you know, the win of at least them having to offer this. And if we can get uh, initiatives like we're going to talk about today uh, out in the public and be, you know, more on the, the minds of Florida residents, then I think that that elective that's offered will probably be taken by more, and more will come out of high school without a necessary life skill.
0: Now, the initiative you're announcing today is called Money Wise Florida. Tell me a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, so Money Wise Florida was an initiative that uh, we we began thinking about in partnership with many other partners. I, I'd like to make sure that they get credit as well, uh, especially CFO Patronus uh, is a big part of this. Uh, and um, we knew there was a big need out out there in the market for this, as you just talked about. And um, we we felt like with our stature in the, in the markets that, and we've always believed in building financial literacy with our background. We have an education a background. Uh, educators formed our credit union back in 1934. Uh, so it's always been near and dear to our heart. Uh, we just felt like we had an obligation to, to do something more. And with partnership with CFO Jimmy Petronas and the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity, we have other organizational partners, uh, the Florida Insurance Council, the Florida Pro- Prosperity Partnership, the Florida Alliance for Consumers and Tax pay- payers, the Florida Credit Union Association, the Florida Institute of CPAs, and the Florida Bankers Association. All of us have been able to, to pool our resources to pr- uh, provide a, an edu- educational resource, fid- financial educational resource, uh, that most Floridians will be able to access and learn about how to uh, better budget their money. Is this more important now in the midst of the whole COVID crisis? Yeah, we, we started planning this about a year ago and uh, before we heard of, of COVID-19 and we, we felt like there was a need then. Uh, and it's even just become more pronounced since COVID-19 because as you know, uh, with all the shutdowns and quarantines, uh, many people are finding themselves uh, without an em- employment now. Uh, which just exasperates their their financial matters even more. So We think that this was even a better opportunity to be able to launch this initiative right now to help provide a resource um, for for residents to get through this next uh, couple of years. Will there be a section in there about how to properly fill out unemployment forms? Uh, I believe so. Uh, If not, we're certainly going to make sure that we get that up there because I understand that that is a, a big issue here in Florida especially.
0: Are we talking education for, for young people here, or is this something you know the, the average person could use?
4: Certainly, young people uh, it will it would suit them, but it's for all ages, and no matter where you are in your life. And if if you find these resources valuable, uh, you know and and challenges come in many forms, Rick. Uh, you know, it could either be income related, as I just spoke about. Uh, people are finding themselves without employment now. Uh, you know, it could be housing, transportation, it could be, uh, student loan debt, uh, it could be, uh, planning for retirement, uh, so there's, there's a vast, uh, um, or uh, a breadth of knowledge that we're, we're, uh, putting out there for just various stages of, of life that, uh, life cycle that you might be in.
0: What kind of budget are we talking about here for the campaign, and is any of that coming from the state?
4: None of it is coming from the state. Uh, I mentioned all the other partners that have sponsored this uh, initiative, and I don't have all the specific details of the level of sponsorship, but, of course, Suncoast is the lead sponsor, and we've have we put up uh, a large portion of, of the money to get this uh, initiative launched and ongoing. So um, that's about... You know the level that I can share with you at this point in terms of the budget uh, that we we put together to to get this rolling, but we're committed to keeping this alive uh, and updated on a regular basis with the relevant and um, uh, information and trends that uh, we see uh that are happening in the market uh, we'll continue to add content to this this website um, as um, trends unfold. I just want to thank all the partners that made this happen. I think it's going to be a, a valuable resource to the, the residents of Florida. It's it's a huge need. Uh, as I said, this is something that uh, many people struggle with, uh, being able to properly plan and budget their money. It's not something that they're necessarily taught uh, growing up or in school. Uh, many people have to find, uh, navigate their way uh and find themselves in difficult spots because they don't have something uh, that they were ever taught or in education. And uh, you know, we're just proud and happy to be able to um, contribute this way, along with our partners, to um, provide this valuable resource to the, Florida, the residents of Florida.
0: Johnson is part of a virtual press conference today where they'll announce details of the Money Wise campaign and share the results of a new survey about the financial health of Floridians during the pandemic. Your calendar of events begins with the Florida Polytechnic University Board of Trustees. They're meeting at 11.15, but only after holding a series of committee meetings that start at half past eight. The Citrus Commission holds an online meeting at nine. They're expected to consider some budget changes based on recent crop forecasts. The Commission on Offender Review meets by conference call at nine. So does the Board of Massage Therapy. And the State Reemployment Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. The Florida Board of Nursing Home Administrators holds an online meeting at 1030 and the Lake Sumter State College Board of Trustees meets by conference call at four. Finally, today, it's time to check in with two Florida men who are doing their best to uphold our state's reputation. A Florida man who works as a rideshare driver and refused to wear a mask because he thought the coronavirus was a hoax has contracted the disease and his wife is now on a ventilator. In a Facebook post, Brian Hitchens of Jupiter said he believed the pandemic was blown out of proportion and said he was putting his faith in God. Now Hitchens and his wife are in Palm Beach Gardens Medical Center after contracting the virus. She is in critical condition. And police say a Florida man threatened officers in Georgia after he was ticketed for doing 23 miles per hour over the speed limit. Dr. Robert O'Connor of Fort Myers was pulled over as he rushed to make his tea time for a game of golf. After getting that ticket, O'Connor called the Sandy Springs Police Department to complain and police say he told them, quote, I hope one of your officers ends up in my hospital. I will make sure they get overly medicated. Well, the cops immediately notified the hospital where he worked and the doc was fired. And the topper is he didn't even threaten the right cops. O'Connor's ticket was written by an officer from the Roswell Police Department, not the Sandy Springs Police Department. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.